Hello and welcome to the Dad Jeans Podcast. My name is Didon, and along with my co-hosts, Harris and Brian, each episode will unpack, examine, and discuss the DNA of healthy fathering. While all three of us are fathers, the road to fatherhood has been different for each of us. It's our hope that those differences and the perspectives they bring will only add to the conversation. Thanks for listening. In this episode, we talk about community investment with Chicago-based mentor, founder and CEO of Champs Mentoring, Vondell Singleton. We explore the importance of transforming trauma, the challenge of encouraging children to develop their own passions, and the work that Von is doing in the community that he's from. But before we do all that, let's check in. Fellas, what's the good word? Hey, what's going on, man? What's going on? What's going on? What's good? Hey, man, I, I am happy. Yeah, I can't, okay. even though this is, this show is going to come out um, not at the instant that we made it, I can't pretend like this isn't Father's Day. So I was about Father's to say, Day, gentlemen. We got to jump right into yeah. it. Happy Father's Day, fellas. Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling I'm feeling good this year. I don't know. This year is hitting a little different. As I was going to say, you took a second. Take yeah, I know, man. I was like, this ain't your day today? Give, give us the behind the mic, Harris. What's going <laughs> no, on? right? Uh, I um, We're actually at my sister's house. Uh, she got a new house, and it's like a housewarming. So, um, you know, it's just when, when your family's doing well, you, you just get that energy. So the girls are all upstairs. My niece is here, and they're all just loving on grandma. Is the I'm just all the vibes, man. Good. It's a vibe. Good. Yeah. I mean, I'm a great space. You know, we've been in a pandemic so long. It is, we forget that this has been yeah. a time of a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. And so, True. you know, we give honor to those who, who have lost people along the way, to those who are surviving. But to hear that, that your sister's thriving and able to, to move into a new home, that's, that's, that's incredible, man. That is. And so, uh, and- I don't know if y'all know about this housing market, but it's oh, like bro. people are buying bro. broke down homes, cash, just it like I over guess asking, over right. asking. Yeah. So, you know, she had a friend, a uh, friend of a friend and some people were like, hey, look, you know, I'll just hand it right over, you know, and um, it just that just isn't happening right now. Yeah. So it's just it's all just seeing stuff come together like Legos just it's good we're in a good space that's what's up so, so that we can have a full check-in yeah uh, we, we got we got a fourth voice that you haven't heard just yet uh and you will you'll get a chance to learn all about him but uh i want to welcome vondell singleton uh to the pod yo yo what's good Hey man, we're, we're, we're here. We're happy you're here. No man, you got that 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 silky radio voice. You know he putting us yeah, to shame. Sound sound like Barry White cousin. Go ahead, say something, Vaughn. Hey man, I'm just blessed to be here, brothers. You thank never y'all, find. man. <laughs> <laughs> blessed to be here, brothers. That's what's up, man. That's what's up, man. It's good to see you. It's it, it's and it's good on this Father's Day. Um, you know, we did our tribute episode a couple of weeks ago, but. Just to be in community with fathers at different stages. I mean, this is, like you said, you know, D, like coming out of this side of the pandemic and still being able to build community, especially around fatherhood, is, is amazing. It's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, it's a gift. It's a gift. So, Harris, you checked in already, but um, we didn't do our mental health check in. Yeah, we need that number. We need that okay. number. Now, remember, okay. one 
means good. Ten yeah, means oh, I, I put it bad. In, I put it in the document. So like I'm not gonna say anything crazy this time. <laughs> I, got visual, I got visual aids. <laughs> <laughs> I got that infographic. <laughs> I'm gonna get it right this time. <laughs> uh, so like I said, you know, with the fam, I'm I'm kinda on cloud nine. Uh so you know, I'm I, I was going to give it a three, but, you know, just that little bit of a discussion. It was like, nah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in good space. So I'm going to give it a one. This is my first one. Okay. Uh, so I'm excited about that. And um, and work is great. Work is great. Uh, last week, there were a couple scenarios where I was able to be a value added. Um, you know, I'm like, I'm not like the old head, the old, old head, but I'm an old head. <laughs> And <laughs> you're not the oldest. I mean, I mean, yeah, like you're not I'm the, not the oldest here. Yeah, you you yeah. ain't in the club with a silk shirt but, on, right? You ain't in the club with the silk shirt on, right? And some gator shoes, right? Yeah. <laughs> so they, they, we we were we were on a meeting, and I was able to to you know make some observations. Everybody's mind was blown. I was like, oh <laughs> yes, value added. Yeah. Oh. Um. So yeah, man. I mean, uh, so. The number would be like would work a solid two. I'm in good. a good space, guy. Yeah. How about so, y'all? What about you, D? You know, I was listening to our last episode, which is the Father's Day episode, and I was listening to Carlton's six word memoir, and, and he mentioned a word that I don't really associate with fatherhood a whole whole bunch, and and that word was joy. You know, and, and when I think of father figures, you know, there's there's the disciplinarian, there's the when I give them that look, there's there's a whole bunch of things, and, and there's the nurturer and the teacher too. I don't I don't want to to make it seem like it's all, um, like like it's all discipline, but I don't know if I would describe joy as as a word that really fits mm. um, what we allow to be the picture of fatherhood. But but I'm taking that as a challenge to myself to find spaces where I can celebrate, where I can be joyous. You know, I I guess I've been kind of in my my emotion, my emotional bag this past week because I was looking at some old pictures. And as a kid, you're all smiles. But yeah. then and, and Brian and Vaughn, you know this because you guys were sharing some of your high school pictures. Then you go through that age where it's like, I'm not showing you my teeth, I'm not cracking no smile. Yeah. It's it's all me mug. But yeah, but then you have your kids and you start finding that smile again. So yeah. I really want to, um, I'm seeking joy. So so where that fits on, a, on an emotional scale, to be honest, if, if the world was on fire, I wouldn't even be talking about joy. Um, so I am, I am two to three, but um, when, when, I, when I find um, that space, and I, you know, today is a good day to look for it too, um, then I, I'll be even better. So I'm optimistic, but I'm searching for joy. That's what's up. That's what's up. And I would say, yeah, that's the thing. That's, that's, that's the journey, right? That's, that's the journey. And so I know that I compartmentalize, um, you know, my, my mental health level. And, and this time I want to focus on uh, coming to Father's Day with a better sense of being without my dad on this day. You know, they say that it gets better. And I went through some pictures too, just randomly. And, and I'm going through pictures with Nas and there's a photograph or there's a, a video of my dad dancing with my mom's at a park in Milwaukee for our family reunion about five years ago. 
And my dad is just dancing. He has on a, a Chicago Cubs t-shirt. And um, like I'm just sitting there watching it. And, and Nas is like, that's granddad. And so, um, you know, I, you know, I just out of the blue. I was like, Nas, you ever met my granddad? Right? Just why not? Right? We just playing. You ever met my granddad? And he looked at me with a straight face and he said, yeah. And like that hit because I'm like, God has this plan already. And so I would say that I'm about at a, at a two, right? I mean, I still miss the dude, um, you know, and, and, and there are three days that are hard. His birthday, Father's Day, and then our wedding day because he was supposed to be my best man, right? So like those three days, though joyous, are also hard. But for this Father's Day, I'm like at a solid two, man. I mean, I had breakfast with the family this morning. Uh, now it was just great. So. You know, doing better, doing better, but solid too. If I could ask, would you have been able to have that conversation with Nas last year? And not based on Nas's development, but just in terms of where you were. Would have avoided it. Would have avoided it like a bad habit Um, because there are certain triggers, right? And, you know, I don't get that, uh, that frog in the throat anymore, right? But there is like, the, the thinking of the wording, but what it was the other day and just looking at those pictures, it was just free flow, right? And so next year, you know, it could be 100% different, but, um, you know, all, all of it feels good. All of it feels right. And I think another reason why is because, and we'll get into this a little bit too, uh, Vaughn knows my pops. Like, and and we'll, and we'll talk about this. So in being in this virtual space with all four of us, there's, there's history, there's foundation, there's presence, and then there's purpose, right? And we're still seeking our purpose. Our foundation is still developing. And so it's just, it's just a good space to be in, man, knowing that we're consistently being worked on. Yeah. I hope you take a moment to give yourself some credit, Brian, because it's not just time that's passed. This is you doing the work. Mm. So. Agreed. Um, Appreciate y'all. And, and, Appreciate and Nas y'all. is benefiting from it. So, you know, congrats, bro. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, customary, get off of me. Leave me alone because uh, I ain't trying to cry today. Uh, so I'm about to go ahead and throw that assist. Devon, man, how you feeling, man? I'm at a one right now, man. Uh, just to be in the presence of fathers. So oftentimes, and, and this is the reason why I'm at a one, so oftentimes when we turning on the news or we watching stories about men, specifically black men, their negative connotation. Um, so we don't often get the um, opportunity to share about our lives as men, as fathers. And even though my relationship with my father wasn't the best, he was involved in my life, you know, and he tried the best that he could to provide for me. Um, and the beautiful thing about what Brian just mentioned was when I saw Brian interacting with his father, that was like, okay, I want to be like that with my son. And it wasn't so much I wanted to receive the love yeah. as a son, but I wanted to be like his father. Because he was hilarious. Yeah, he was. He was. Nonstop, man. Yeah. And, uh, but he put you at ease. He saw the value in you. He appreciated and he was present. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that dude was present 
and he was himself. Yeah. 24-7, period. Unapologetically, yeah. Unapologetically. So yeah. for me as a teenager watching a relationship that Brian and his dad had, even though I didn't have that with my own biological father, um, it, it showed me this is how you should be as a father. So, man, you know, being in my 40s, uh, being alive on this Father's Day, having an a, a awesome relationship with my seven-year-old son, man, I'm at a one. And because awesome. things could be a lot worse, but to be celebrated specifically as a black father, and I'm on the south side of Chicago, bruh, yeah. I'm great. I'm extremely grateful and have full solitude in, in my emotional state and well-being right now. So thanks, Brian. I know that's a lot for you, brother, to share, but uh, I have very fond memories of your dad. He was a great man and, uh, and, a, and a huge role model, even for me at 17, 18. I you know? appreciate that. All right. So Harris, it's about that time, man. No pressure. No pressure. It's that question of the week. We are so excited. Now, listen, our, he didn't send it to us beforehand. I didn't send it This early. is fresh oh. off the presses. Harris, give us this amazing question of the week. B, you, you are in full of, like, full on hype man mode today. I love I mean, it. It's Father's Day, man. I ain't getting no hammer, so I'm excited. <laughs> I ain't gonna give a certificate to Home Depot. I'm loving life, right? I'm sure the right hammer, you know, like with laser guidance or something like that. Anyway, <laughs> question of the week. So I was really leaning into this concept of investing in our community, and um, it made me think about a conversation uh, I had at work early this week. Shout out to the Windows Group. Um, there was a moment when we were talking about modern day abolition, uh, abolitionists. And this concept of modern day abolitionists is, uh, you know, it's not so much the abolition of slavery, but more so now, how do we uh, abolish the echoes of slavery that exist in our community? So an example could be Let's say we live in a food desert, you know, meaning like you live in a community where there isn't enough healthy food for people to actually live a healthy and full life. Um, the work that you would be doing to abolish that, meaning the, the social justice work around getting food in that community uh, and then the root causes as to why is this a food desert to begin with, that is considered modern day abolitionist work. So that's framing. So my question for you is, uh, what echoes of slavery do you want to abolish in your communities and why? And I'll, 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 I'll start. Uh, I'll start with my answer. So in my community, uh, one thing that I, I, I don't like seeing and I would really like to, to, to get taken away is, uh, you know, abandoned homes. Right. Um, when I when I see these abandoned homes, it's you know, it, it, it's it's blight uh, in the community. Um, I just I if I was going to get more involved, that's something that I would definitely try to make a difference in in abolishing. Um, and it's because of like uh, foreclosures that hit. There were a lot of elderly people who uh, ended up being taken out of their homes. And for me, 
it connects to the financial inequity uh, that we're facing, that we face as a people, you know, because of redlining, because of slavery, all of that. So, um, yeah, if I could put in some work that, you know, a little bit more energy, uh, and who knows, maybe I will at some point, but that's something that I'd like to, um, to abolish in my community. I love it. So, the what I was thinking as you were speaking, Harris, is personal valuation. You know, I think one of the ways that they did a number on the enslaved was by convincing them that they weren't worth dot dot dot. Ooh, okay. And, and I think. Some of the reason why we have a lot of those reverberations or echoes is because we don't appreciate our own value. Mm. And I think when we begin to understand what we're worth, we accept less. Um, trivial things don't mean as much. And, and we're able to set our own value, right? But, but that's really, really difficult in a space where almost everything is set up to to argue against that you know to give an example when a, when Naomi Osaka says hey my mental health is mm. worth more than this conversation and I'll pay whatever it is then you have all the slams not just the one that she's at all the slams come together it's like yo this this woman is starting to chart her own path yeah. you know they and and I, you don't have to go so far as to say conspiracy because conspiracy is secretive. It's so upfront that it's just how it is. It's blatant, yeah. And, 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 that's, and that's for someone whose financial valuation is deemed the highest of echelons as yeah. it relates to particularly tennis earnings. And so if it's like that for her, what's it like for my daughter who, who can't command um, you know, the, the attention for her, for her personal issues that, that somebody like uh, Naomi can. And so I really would love to continue to do work on just, um, one, learning my own value, because this is a journey for all of us, but also having open dialogues with, with youth about their value. That's deep. And That's good. That's real. Right on par with, um, I'm going to quote Pac real quick, and that is, the rose that grew out of concrete. And that is the reframing and reshaping of how we view investing in our communities, meaning those abandoned homes, right? Like how can we develop programming around buying homes and remodeling homes, right? Like how can we invest in taking that home completely out of the neighborhood and turning that ground into a garden? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and so really, and, and, and you see this in a lot of communities, but it's not really talked about and or celebrated. And when we go into our communities, like, you know, when I go back to Milwaukee, there are some parts of my, my neighborhood where I'm like, the narrative that's been written about this block is so bad. But when I'm on it, I'm home. Like, I'm, I'm right at home. And so how can we look at that concrete and invest the the malleable and the tangible and the sweat equity and the toil into, even though you may not live here or stay here, the harvesting of these crops are going to yield a rotation of goods. So that would be the thing that I, I would, I would want to 
I, now, I, I do want to push you though. What mm-hmm. about your community? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. Like again, like because I also have to unlearn some of the stuff that's in my head, right? Mm-hmm. About like how I engage with my community, right? And so that that is that that there's a lot of potential there. And so how do we see that as a value add instead of going to what is golden and shiny and glimmering and saying, I can do both and instead of one or the other. Okay. Okay. Vaughn, you, you, you've had some time to simmer, man. No, I've had some time to simmer, but I'm also having some time to work. <laughs> and when I say that is when we talk about community and you know, I just think about the proliferation of, you know, black males in mass incarceration. And, and when I'm, what I'm getting to is a school to prison pipeline, right? Um, so so the, the whole education, I'm speaking as an educator, right, who's been involved and seen from, you know, the, the little babies all the way up to the college boys. Um, it's almost as if, if this is not the avenue in terms of education that we're going through, at a high rate, mass incarceration, um, you're going to get black males involved in recidivism in the prison pipeline. And that's a problem for me. And I think a, a, a bigger problem is, is how it's designed and how it's set up. And if we really want to get down to the politicians, to the people we're elected in office, uh, to the people counting pockets, uh, people are making billions and billions of, of dollars off of mass incarceration, especially of black, black males and black bodies. So um, as I think through the solution part of that is this is why I mentor. This is why I'm like pounding the pavement daily saying that we gotta, we have to redesign and reimagine and, and bring innovation into education. Um, how we teach, because there's a, a certain pedagogy on how you engage black males. And if yeah. that's not happening on the first and second and third grade level earlier on, they lose interest in school. And then what happens? They get recruited by, you know, the local gang member, drug dealer, and they become what they call lookout boys, where they get paid small fees to look out for the police. And I drive past every day and I see them and I'll pull them to the side. Hey, you heard about champs mentoring? No, I haven't heard. How old are you? I'm 12. Oh, wow. He got you on the corner at 12. Well, check the program out. We meet on 71st. So again, for me, it's very strategic in what I'm doing in terms of mentorship in the community because I understand it offsets the whole design system uh, that will lead more blacks into the, the penal system. When I was like, man, the investment in our communities and, and like we, I would really just love to be able to, to think of someone that we could talk to that has put in the work and someone that has not only put in the work, but really has primarily focused on the building and the nurturing of black boys. So those black boys become strong black men. And the name that popped into my head was Vondell. And I'll let Von get into, um, the story just of, 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 of us and, and what he's doing. But Vaughn is doing some amazing work, not only in the city of Chicago, 
Because as we know, there's this thing called the butterfly effect that when you touch one, there is the impact that it continues to have. So this is national, this is global in the things that he's doing. And so I am honored, the Dad Jeans Podcast, we are honored to have Vondell Singleton with us on the pod today. And Von, it's customary that whenever we ask the guests to come on to the show, uh, that we ask for them to give us their six-word memoir. Six-word. Man, this is a powerful question. You guys had me <laughs> kind of on the back of my heels with this one. <laughs> um, but a- as I reflected and thought about, like, man, how can I imagine if I had six words to give the world, right? And it was my story, my narrative. What would they be? And the words that came to my mind um, are the words... Success without a successor is failure. Mm. And I'll let y'all mm. sit with that for a second. Yeah, I was about to say, you need to speak <laughs> on that because you just put some truth in that. So say it one more time. Success without a successor is failure. Okay. So let me, let me, let me, let me just hit that <laughs> one, one quick second. Go ahead. Right? The, the, the power, what we've been told is, hey, man, you need to go out and be successful. You need to make a lot of money, have a great career, uh, attain the American dream or whatever that is, right? Get a house, get the car, uh, get, you know, get the wife, had the money, had a career. And, and, we, and we have this approach and we go after those dreams. And let's say we, we reach it. We reach the pinnacle of success in whatever that is, right? The, the problem that I see, and I can only speak from the community that I live in, you know how many people come from Chicago that make it out and make it big? And they get on TV, hey, I'm from the south side of Chicago. I'm from the west side of Chicago, right? They, they mark that territory. It's a pride that comes with that. But I often see that you ain't showing nobody else where you from how to get there. <laughs> So are you really successful, sir? Are you really successful if you haven't shown someone else how to be successful? I like to put it like this. Uh, We lift as we climb, right? Mm. That's a philosophy, a personal philosophy that I have. I could have easily stayed in down south, went to the east or west coast and lived my life. But I chose specifically and intentionally to share the blueprint with everybody that will listen to me. Mm. So for me, success is who are you helping become successful? And if you're not helping someone else become successful, sir, I don't think you are a success. You've missed the whole point of this life. So success without a successor is failure. So I, I, I just have to preface this to uh, Vaughn is a pastor as well. Listen, Vaughn, listen, that's powerful, man. Because um, we can all think back to mentors, right? But I think what you're saying goes beyond just being a mentor, right? It's, it's, it's how do you take that mentor-mentee relationship and actually transform it into becoming something that is more powerful, right? Where the investment is in making sure that as I do it to you, you do it to someone else. And it's essentially like you're paying it forward. And so I, 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 I hear you. I, I, I definitely hear you. Um, and I hear the passion in that, too. I do. So, Vaughn, that's an incredible six-word memoir. 
but it is made more meaningful. When I connected to our, our pre-show conversation that we had, Brian already knows you. Take a moment to share a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your journey so that the, so that those listening can understand that. That wasn't just like some tricky wordplay that you came up with. You had a life <laughs> right, right, right. That, 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 has, that has modeled those steps. So um, I, want, I want you to just take a moment and let us know a little bit about who you are. Thanks, D. Hey, so I was a marked man. Uh, I was born on the, on the south side of Chicago in the Bronzeville community and lived in a place called the Ida B. Wells Housing Projects. At the time, it was the eighth poorest projects in the United States. Uh, most people heard of Cabrini Green, Stateway Gardens, you know, some of the New York projects. But the projects where I lived, my family was the first to move there. My f- grandfather came in 1921 um, from Mississippi to Chicago. Um, and married my grandmother, who I never had a chance to meet. Unfortunately, she died when my father was only 10 years old. Uh, But they had nine children. My father was the youngest of nine. Um, And back in those days, it was really this community environment where people were looking uh, to come to Chicago for opportunities, leaving the South uh, in droves. And so we became the Black metropolis. So when you hear about gospel music, that's where it was started, right? Uh, you hear about the blues, that, that's where it was kind of originated and started and, and, and took off. And so I came from that particular area, but I also came and was born in the area of the early 80s where the drug epidemic was introduced to urban city America. Um, so at, at an early age, my father became um, you know, tied to the streets. Uh, he joined the disciple gang, which was really structured back then and very formidable. Um, and so he became the treasurer of the disciples. And when I share this story, it's not that, man, I'm bragging and all that. It was some very horrific things that I was exposed to in 514 East 36th Street, Apartment 202 um, on the south side of Chicago. And these memories sit with me because 90% of, of our young men that are born in those areas are usually locked up or dead before 18. And somehow, some way, through the auspices of God, I was able to navigate my way from a very tumultuous situation, and um, you know, which led me beyond uh, 18. Now, obviously, I had a mom too. My mom was 15 when she had me, so she was really young. My father was only 19, so they were uh, two teenagers having unprotected sex, and as a result, I was born. Um, neither one of them was uh, were equipped to take care of me. Um, and my mom succumbed when she was only 29. I was, I was 14 when I buried my mom. Um, so with those odds, you would think that, hey, look, man, I can just finish your story for you. Um, but I, I believe that, again, through the divine intervention of God, that he put people in my path that uh, saw that I would make it because I believe at the end of the day, it was part of my destiny to come back to help those who were in similar situations like me. I believe God knew my heart even before then and said, man, this boy, he's going to come back and help some more people. Let me figure out a way to help him survive. Um, And so, yeah, it was it was definitely some rough times, but it was also times of survival where I had to learn the streets pretty early. But and I also knew as a result of people living in the streets, the consequences of the streets. And I learned from that. I watched and I observed. I'm like, oh, if you if you sold drugs, uh, you probably can get away for about six months. Then it's an expiration date on it. And you're going to get locked up or put away. Because we ain't see Pookie after six months. You know what I mean? He was balling out, had the Jordan zone. Jordan's coming out every week. You know what I mean? And he living it up, driving, coming through the hood, blasting music. 
And so you will think, oh, man, this is what I want to esteem to be. But then I will observe the back end of that. And I'm like, man, Pookie ain't around. What happened to him? Oh, man, you know he got locked up. Or, yeah, they shot him over there. So I was like, okay, I can't do that. I have to figure out another way because this is a trap, right? And so school became a refuge, man. And after my mom died and my father was incarcerated, literally I became a ward of the court, ended up in Milwaukee. And that's a whole nother story uh, on how I met Brian Jackson, man. And uh, he's a big responsibility in terms of me getting the access that I needed to make some altering decisions that would change my life forever. So just to be in this space with you brothers, um, the Dad Jeans Podcast, bro, I made it, mama, I made it. <laughs> hey, I take it. Oh man, oh man. Listen, I mean, we'll probably we'll probably you know shed uh, some laughs with some some high school stories between Vaughn and 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 myself. But you know, one of the things that has stayed with me um, for a very long time is that. You know, Vaughn asked me uh, to be a part of a summit that he was doing. It was an amazing summit in Chicago in which we were touching thousands of, of kids. And um, Vaughn brought me on stage. And one of the things he said was, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I remember standing there stuck because what and I, and I want to give you a chance, Vaughn, to kind of to kind of talk about that, you know, especially as we as fathers have black children, you know, you know, we have black boys. Um, but that stuck with me because I had never thought about that. Right. And there's so much power in that. But I would love for you just to elaborate on why that is the foundational piece. for for a lot of the work that you do with Champ Mentoring. Hey, bro, like, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I had to use that in context because it's literally how I beat the odds. I had some choices and decisions. There were some things presented to me at an early age that was surrounding around, you know, A, if I was going to do X, Y, and Z. And again, like I said, I was very calculated in terms of my decision making because I was always observing. You know what I mean? It was so many people around me um, growing up in a big city all the time. And most of the time it was bad decisions because it was bad, you know, advice passed out. Not bad people, just misguided people. So let me be clear about that. Right. These were some of the smartest individuals I've ever met. Um, but they didn't go to school. They didn't get their degrees. You know what I mean? They were using their time and talent to trick people and be crafty and hustle. You know what I mean? Illegally. Um, and I'll often think like, man, if we had the right type of environment in terms of people, you know, maybe we can have some better choices and better options. So when I say show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And I tell a young person that it's like you do have a decision in who you choose to, to be in your space. You do have a decision on how you use your energy and how you allow that energy to influence you to make choices. And so Brian was a chosen friend of mine. Ricky Johnson was a chosen friend of mine. It was certain people that we saw at Pulaski that, man, you know, they would come to school high, laughing, clowning, joking in class. Right. And I'm not calling anybody names out because <laughs> that's not for me to do. 
But at the end of the day, I made a conscious decision to say, this is where I want to put my energy. You know, they say you are the average of the five closest friends you have around you. I don't know how many people heard that who's listening. But I tell young people that it's like, show me the five people that you spend most of your time with. You're the average of that, right? Y'all probably all got the same amount of GPA. Y'all probably all got the same amount of scholarship offers. Y'all probably got the same amount of girlfriends. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's just the reality because you are influencing within that circle. And that circle of influence begins to be how your life is going to be informed and how it plays out. It's not just, oh, I wake up and everything has changed. Like who you spend your time with is who you will become. And I try to tell young people, listen, be very intentional about who you allow in your space because that will influence how you think and how you think will be how you carry out decisions, right? This is how vitally important this is. So when I said that, we were on the stage and behind us, we had pictures when we were 17. So these pictures that were on the screen that people could see before we called our mentor up who had no idea we was going to call him up in front of everybody and, and, and surprise him. Uh, it was like we, we're manifested destiny right now. So like he's doing his thing in the administration world. I'm doing my thing in the administration world. But that didn't just happen yesterday. This happened over 20 years ago. Vaughn, you mentioned that you were born in Chicago and uh, spent part of your life there. One of the things that we've also got a chance to learn about you is that your journey took you to Milwaukee and then later your journey took you to Oklahoma. How did you end up? No, 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 no. Why did you go back to Chicago? You know, that's a great question. The question is, um, you did, through my journey, Milwaukee wasn't my choice. That was like projects were being torn down. It was a lot of dynamics and layers that led that. My mom's death. It was just a lot of things happening that I didn't say, all right, I'm going to go to Milwaukee. And then I'm going to plan out to go to college in Oklahoma. But again, through divine intervention and people being put in my place, things led that. But the thing that's common, and it's so funny to me because I don't remember it. Like my mentor, our mentor, Brian Jackson, have a mutual mentor, Steve Robertson. He used to say, when you were 18, you used to always say you're going to go back to Chicago to help people. And I don't, re I don't remember it. And sometimes, you know how you just say things, you don't even think about it, it just comes out. And so maybe it was just, it was just coming out because it was part of what I was supposed to do. But I can tell you this, what catapulted that decision was I was in Oklahoma. Uh, my wife was a school principal working on her doctor degree, about to have our first child. I was a assistant principal at a, a charter school there in the city. And I just felt empty. I felt like I wasn't really fulfilling my purpose. I was moving the needle a little bit. But it wasn't a deep fulfillment within my belly, within my spirit. And I said, what is missing? We got everything. We got five degrees between us now, right? My wife knocking it out the park, killing the game. But when I laid down, I felt empty. And I said, what is this, God? I got on my knees and I began to pray. And I said, God, you have to take me deeper. I'm listening. I'm not saying anything. I don't want to move until you speak. Something not right, something is missing. And then it went from that to me having nightmares. 
and the nightmares would be black boys, dry blood coming up like vapor in the sky, going up to God's nostrils. It was scary. And every day I would be in cold sweats, waking up like my whole body drenched in sweat, having these nightmares. And I began to talk to my wife and I said, you know what it is? It's time. It's time to leave. We got to go back to Chicago. God is calling me. That, that blood that's coming up are all these young men getting shot and killed in, in, in my city streets. And I have to play a part and do something about it. Not saying that I'm coming in to be Superman and going to save everybody. But I do have an obligation to go back. And I said, well, once we done with this, it's time to move back. And my wife, I thought it was going to be a fight, man. She was like, hey, look, if God told you that, you know, I'm following my husband. I'm going to support you. And I said, man, that's why I married you. You know what I mean? Like this, this could split up a home. This could create a divorce because I'm saying leaving the comforts of everything that we got, we've achieved everything imaginable. And I'm saying to go back to the city of Chicago, that ain't too attractive for a woman who want to live in peace. And I have the frustration of dealing with, you know, anything can happen to me out here on these streets. But she was like, I support you fully. Uh, You have my full endorsement. When are we going to go? I was like, wow. So six months um, after that conversation, man, we were, we were back here. And let me tell you, when you're walking in divine purpose, doors will begin to open for you. That's true. Yeah. And my wife got her job immediately. I got a job immediately. And we got our, our home where we live at. We live right in the heart of the city of Chicago because... Also, I felt like I wasn't supposed to move to the suburbs. I was supposed to live within the city limits. And I told my wife this specifically. I'm like, I know you. You from Milwaukee. Like, you want to live on the outskirts. You know what I mean? Have, you know what I mean? And I'm like, that's not why God is calling me back, because I'll still be cheating myself. But I also have to be comfortable with us making a family decision, because I'm not in this marriage alone, right? So let's talk through this. Are you okay with this? And she was like, well, we living in the city. We got to have a backyard. We got to have an attached garage. I'm like, you still talking suburb. Where are we going to find all that in Chicago? You know, We're not going to find all in Chicago. But you know what? There was a ram in a bush. And where I speak to you guys today, I have a backyard, attached garage. We live in a gated community in the inner city of Chicago. That's like 1% of land. You can't find it anywhere, and God made that happen, man. So uh, that's kind of like what led that uh, of me coming back to the city of Chicago, doing what I'm doing. It was the nightmares, and it was just a high calling. Yeah. I, I feel like you hit on this a little bit, but, I mean, my, my guy, you, you got a lot going on, right? What... Um, Either how do you recharge or, you know, what keeps the fire going? Uh, you know, because burnout is real. You know what I mean? And we don't want to, you know, people end up killing themselves just for not doing the whole self-help, self-health uh, and health piece. So how do you, uh, yeah, how do you recharge? Do you recharge? That's a great question. So one of the favors that I, that I got, uh, was when I was working at Oral Roberts University and I was working on my grad work, I said, you know what? This may sound selfish, but I'm going to go ahead and take the master's in uh, marital family therapy for my own healing. 
right? <laughs> because I'm helping a lot of people. Why not get the information for myself? So I went into the MFT program because I wanted to get the information to be able to self-soothe, if that makes sense. And so I stayed in that program for about four or five years at Oral Roberts University. And so I was able to take all of the information, the tool strategies, because at any point I knew that I can use it for myself before I go out there and change the whole world, right? So a lot of things that I do and a lot of the information in terms of making sure self-care is paramount, I apply the scriptures that I preach. I apply all the marriage family therapy stuff that I learned from my grad program to myself as medication. (laughs) Because you're right, man. There's so many people uh, right now got the weight of the world on their shoulders, man. I just got information from a young man who wanted to take himself out. And I was able to use the information that I learned to talk him off the bridge. So it's critical for me first. Again, it's like the, the, the air flight, right? They tell you, hey, put your mask on first before you start going through the aisles and helping everybody else get their mask on. So that's what I'm doing. I was I'm about doing. to follow up. I was about to say, <laughs> okay, you, you know the tools. Mm-hmm. Are you using them? Yep. I, I have to. <laughs> I have to. To do this work, bro? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I have to. Yeah. And, and check this out. So... Can I just uh, just share what happened yesterday? Sure. So we had a Juneteenth celebration um, at Armstrong Park. It's a park right in Bronzeville where I was born and raised. And for the first time in doing this work, because everybody's starting to come out. The city's reopening, so it's a lot more people out. And you would think it's before COVID because most people are not wearing a mask. You know what I mean? You don't know who everybody hugging each other, high five. And you know what I mean? I'm like, hold on, hold on. It's still some, and it's supposed to be another variant going on. So hold on, hold on. So I'm being conscious, but I was smiling. I was happy. My wife, my kids were there and we had hundreds of people. And it was an event that we hosted with the girls mentoring program here in Chicago. And I said, Wow. As much as it is for us to do all this work virtually the past 18 months, it's still nothing like having fresh air, right? And that was therapy for me, being around my people, celebrating Juneteenth in that type of environment. So, but I can also see how it was helping a lot of people out, man, as well. So, yeah, definitely, you know, uh, praying every day is something that I'm very religious about. Uh, in terms of not being a religion or religious man, I'm a very spiritual man, but I pray every single day. It's not a day I, that go by where I, I don't pray. Um, I, I work out a little bit. You know, I'm in pretty decent shape. I've probably been the same size since high school. Yeah, you have, man. Listen, um, you know, so that's like he could put up 30 points in the NBA <laughs> right now. I ain't trying to hear that. So I, I love the skate. We got the rink on 87th Street, that Chance yeah. the Rapper he always putting in this song. So it's about five minutes from where I live. I like to go out skating a couple times, sometimes a couple times a week. Uh, and, the, and the culture is really strong here in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, so that's something that I really, really enjoy doing. And I just love a good book, man. You know, I love to read. I'm reading a couple different books right now. Uh, so, yeah, I try my best to any advice that I'm giving young people. I try to be the model for myself. Yeah. Thanks. I got a question for, for everybody. You know, we, um, we tend to lead and parent from our deficits. And what I mean by that much of the father that I am 
is inspired by the father I didn't have. Um, without putting words in anybody's story, Vaughn, your experiences growing up seem to ignite your passion for the work that you're currently doing. Um, you know, hopefully and prayerfully, our children won't have the experiences that, that, that we've had. Um, my, my daughter will know her father um, to the extent that for the days that I'm here. And so our children will have very similar. I mean, they'll have very different experiences. But how do we continue to have passionate children about their interests when they're not fueled by those, those same kind of deficits? Nas and Sadia didn't grow up on the north side of Milwaukee. Right. And 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 um, their life at this stage is totally different from my life at that stage. And the intentionality around engaging them into where they've come from and what makes mommy and daddy who they are. And then being able to feel what Milwaukee is, them being able to identify how that is different, them being able to see difference, and then being able to see injustice are avenues that whatever their passions become, I am okay with that. But it has to be something rooted in the uplifting and shifting of a community, whether that is through activism, whether that is through mentoring. And so it is important for them to know that they will never be able to detach from who their father is or who their mother is. And that essentially just means that this is who we are. What also makes it unique too is that as a biracial family, they are going to be able to experience the difference um, because society um, has a way of thinking about, um, you know, black children. So there just has to be touch points. There has to be some intentionality around it. And, and I'm, I'm committed to that because I can't have my kids growing up thinking that everything is, is sweet. It's funny because my, my children really are growing up with such a different experience. Drop some. My, uh, my daughter, one day she was acting up and we were all at the dinner table and my mom just looked at her and just kind of smiled. And I looked at my daughter, I said, you have no idea how lucky you are that you have your grandmother and not my mother. <laughs> because you know, and I mean, there's even even that you know. I grew up where you know a, a smart comment got you popped in the mouth. Uh, that that shapes how you communicate. Uh, Certainly, you comment <laughs> at a bare minimum. Uh, so even in, in in the community, when I think back about. You know, how violent my experience was growing up in Baltimore. And, and it's funny, Vaughn, you talk about the gated community. I, I kind of live in, in a scenario like that in Baltimore. Um, but, you know, as soon as you leave that gate, it's still Baltimore, you know, and shoot, sometimes in the gate. Um, so all of that to say, 
Mallory and I have made a distinct effort to lean into their passions and their gifts. Uh, we a big you know, we we, uh, we homeschool, and earlier when you were talking about uh, you know the different ways, uh, different methodologies uh, of approaching uh, you know, children of color, black kids in particular. One of the models is, uh, you know, to to wait, to wait until they show a particular interest in in a particular subject, and then you build on it because they have that natural energy as opposed to doing this one size fits all. So I think that um, I'm do I'm doing the same. I'm doing the same as it pertains to the community and social justice, and they pick up stuff. You know, Stella's around here saying, you know, I can't be a litter bug. Uh, you know, Nisia, she she's on the whole influencer tip, and as much as I don't want to go that direction, um, you know, I'm not going to snuff her voice. So just leaning into who they are. I grew up, and I, and I, I count myself fortunate to have a mother whose whose message was you can be anything. You know, a lot of kids in in, in my generation grew up either thinking they were going to be the first black president or somebody saying it, you know, that's off the table now. That's fine. But you can be anything was, was the, was the message when it came out positive. I have a daughter that's somewhere down the line. She believes that like the world belongs to her. Not like you can have a space, but, <laughs> but this world is mine. I just got to figure out what I want to do with it. And, and I don't give myself credit for that as, as much as, that's just kind of where she is. And um, I take her to meetings with me, you know, not out of any thoughtfulness, but sometimes I got to go to a meeting and sometimes I got the kid. And um, afterwards, you know, she'll ask me questions. You know, was that person mad at you? It's like, no, that person feels passionate about the thing that, that we were talking about. And they feel really, really strong. Well, why were they yelling? Well, you know, imagine if this was your home and they didn't have whatever the set of circumstances were, but like the opportunity to talk about leadership, to talk about a, a meeting dynamic, to talk about the principles of, you know, what it takes to listen to someone or what it takes to, to run a meeting, you know, and to, to not take it personal when somebody is incredibly passionate and, and, and speaking from that space, you know, um, I got to believe that that'll go into into her secret sauce, whatever, wherever it comes out, I don't know. But um, I, I think that she will use these very different experiences when she's, you know, world is her oyster and, and figuring out where, where she wants to be. So how, how can you take exactly what you said, that feeling and not have it be anxiety, right? With whatever she decides to, to want to become, because I, all of this sounds great, right? Sure. But I think the flip side of it, too, is, is that there is an additional strain that is black parents that, yeah, the world is your oyster, but somebody will close this up on you real quick. Good question. B. So, so what I tell her and what, what we're working on now is, is very simple. Learn to like yourself through your eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, 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 and to be clear, not even through my eyes, mm-hmm. not even through mommy's eyes, you know, you have to like the person who you see in the mirror. 
Yeah. Not because I don't need you doing X, Y, and Z because somebody double dared you or because yeah. you would, you wanted people to like you because you were funny in class. And these are all the things that motivate kids, you know, yeah. and sometimes much, much worse. Yeah. But, but so, and, and let me be honest and say that I have not dealt with anxiety in, 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 in large amounts or, or I've never identified anxiety as something that I deal with. And so, but my hope is if she learns to quiet all of those other voices, those voices that, that will chip away, those yeah. voices that will tell her, you don't belong in this room. These people are more X or more Y than you, too short, too tall, the yeah. hair's too short as, as a black girl. You know, if she can just like who she walks in the door as, that's half the she's game one. right there. Yeah, yeah, she's one. You know, and so that's the hope. You know, we'll check in over the next couple of decades to see how it worked out. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a brotherhood. We're going to be together. So I'm just saying. Hey, you know. I want to I wanna go to, to the wedding. That's all I got to say. Hey, wedding. Wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Graduation. Like, Hold on. Let me get my sure. shotgun right now. Well, yeah, exactly. Whoa. Listen, yeah. <laughs> Pump your brakes, Brian. You can go to the swearing in. I, I, I remember talking about a wedding. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. That's real talk. Violence, so let's hear it, man. <laughs> Man, fellas, this this is really good dialogue. Um, you know, what's interesting is I, I've been very careful not to kind of project my own stuff, my own trauma on my kids. Um, and it's so funny. Like my daughter's 12 and my son, he's junior, he's seven now. And so like I'm always getting made fun of now every day by my family because they like, oh, here daddy go. He finna say he from the projects. Like, it's so funny because I'm always trying to use moments as teachable moments and tell them like, and it's almost like, man, I didn't walk eight miles, you know what I mean, back in the day. <laughs> so I, yes. like, they call me out now on this. Yeah. It's like, because they, to be honest, guys, like they live a life of privilege. Mm -hmm. And we just got to call a spade a spade. Like my mm -hmm. kids did not have to go through what I had to go through. And I'm always still trying to find something to challenge them because mm -hmm. they in a language school, they learn in multiple languages. Uh, they around a lot of diversity within their school here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And my daughter's like, I'm going to Whitney Young. Whitney Young is literally right across the street from her school. Um, and that's the feeder school. And so she's like, I'm like, why you want to go to Whitney Young? Like, Whitney Young is the easy choice. I know it's a it's a phenomenal school. Don't get me wrong. Well, Michelle Obama went there, and so what do I say to that? Yeah, <laughs> she want to follow in those footsteps. That's then a not say nothing. You know what I mean? So yeah. again, I, I find myself as a father being challenged, and it's a good challenge because I love a good challenge. Um, but now I'm starting to see myself through my kids the opposite side. So when you talk about like sometimes we kind of lean with our fears and we kind of like, you know, feel comfortable with that. Cause I'm, I took them, my son was still in, he couldn't even walk. I took him over to the project, the building, not even there. And I'm like, son, let me take you out to your crib. Now look, this is where daddy grew up. My daughter, four years old, eating a popsicle, man. She yeah. like, uh, when am I getting to go to my ballerina classes, daddy? Yeah, All right, when yeah. are you done with this lesson? I'm like, no, look. You know what I mean? I'm like, this is where it started for me. I had to struggle. And, Some and, kids hang their kids over Pride Rock. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm really careful, guys. Like, And it's to all of y'all points. It's like I want to make sure I'm pushing them naturally to their passions, their dreams, gifts, talents, and desires. And I'm supporting that. And I'm being cool 
with like teaching failure early because we're going to fail. Right. So let's get it out the way. Let's learn the lessons from it and let's move, move on. So because I have a lot of trauma in my life um, and I acknowledge that I have a lot of trauma in my life in terms of my family of origin stuff, um, I, I have to be very careful as I'm parenting as a father with my kids not to make their life rough or try to see it through my lens because it is not. It's totally different. There's a phrase that um, is funny. In, I did some recidivism work as well uh, in a previous life. And um, we used to say trauma not transform becomes trauma transferred. Mm, say that again, brother. Trauma not transformed becomes trauma transferred. Got it. And as you can imagine, especially in the in the prison system and in, in the mentoring system, you know, children of prisoners, if they are if they receive mentorship, they're like ninety percent less. There's like ninety percent less of a chance of them right. being incarcerated. Right. The absence of that uh, is is you know so is is terrible. So it, it's funny because. We have to do our own work. If we don't do our own work, those generational curses, yeah, that's that's how it gets passed on. Man, Vaughn, um, I just, I, I love everything you're doing. Uh, you know, like I said, we're talking about the statistics alone. So, you know, you you know, you know how powerful mentorship is, especially in the Chicago area, for real. So, Please, can you t- tell us about Chance? Tell us, um, you know, the differences that it's making uh, because uh, the people need to hear it. Yeah, thank you for giving me the platform to share about Champs. So Champs, first of all, stands for Culturally Helping and Making Positive Success. And it was started in 2013, 2014 um, here on the south side of Chicago at a school where I was the assistant principal, Gary Comer College Prep. Um, great school, part noble. of the Noble Network of Charter Schools, which is the largest charter school network in the city and also the highest performing charter network in the city of Chicago. Um, we were the first Southside school, and I kind of came in those first uh, couple years of it being started and noticed that it was a, a father story happening with some of the young men. Either I didn't know my father or my father was locked up or dead. And I was like, okay, I'm hearing this too often. It was eight every out of uh, 10 kids or nine out of every 10 kids saying the same father story. I don't know my father. My father's locked up or dead. And it'd be that one out of 10 to say, yeah, my father's around. But if he's around, he's an absentee father. So it was very few young men that had relationships with their father. And as a result, there were things happening within the school that I felt like I had an obligation to kind of lean in a little bit more and do something beyond the four walls of the school. So to kind of, uh, you know, talk a little bit about the past and kind of move forward to where we are now. Um, started with uh, a group of about eight boys, took them out to MLK on 76 and Racine to the skate rink uh, with a few other men who work for the school who gave up their time on a Saturday. Now, nobody's obligated to do it or be, be a part of it. Uh, We were just doing it organically to really show the boys that we can invest in them beyond the four walls of school and beyond the hours of the school day. Now, here we here we go. Saturday in Chicago, Monday morning, every Monday morning, the headline is how many people got shot over the weekend. weekend. 
That is the headline every Monday morning. And so I said that if we're going to dip these numbers and cut them and slash them, we have to engage with what's happening over the weekend. So I specifically said Saturday morning could be an opportunity where we can give some knowledge in their brains, in their life, that they can take back to the party, to wherever they're going to go and do, and be able to slow down thought processes. That was the initial idea of Champs. And as a result of that, um, you know, when we went on that first skate trip, the young brothers came back to school that Monday that went, and somehow the word leaked that Mr. Singleton and a few other guys took some kids skating. So the other kids that didn't go, and I didn't think about it, it's like, why you didn't invite me? I like to skate too. Why they get to go? And you? I said, well, let's just come back Saturday. We'd, we'd do something. And our first official Saturday, it was 65 boys there. Wow. And I knew we had something special because these are boys that represent all parts of Chicago, uh, the parts where they always report on the news against each other. They were all in the same room, right, saying we on the same page. And so from that, we started to build out credence and start storytelling and and studying. Bring your books up. Let's study. And and guys are going in their pockets, the adults, buying the food, you know, out of our own pockets, no budget, just doing whatever it took to give our young men a safe space uh, to be young men and not have to live their life as adults um, because they are teenagers and boys need to have fun experiences and they should be able to, you know, just not think about survival 24-7, right? Um, and so that's what Champs in his infancy started to do. And I said that once I did it, I was going to have to die doing it. I still have that commitment. I'm going to be 85 years old, Champs mentor. And when they see me walking with my cane across the street, they're like, we can't rob him. That's Singleton. He helped too many of us. You know what I mean? Like, I want to have that legacy. That's how important it is for me. So in a nutshell, Champs culturally helping and making positive success. You know, one 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 of the things, you know, Vaughn is is so humble. And when we were growing up in high school together, as y'all already know, I was the loud one. I was the obnoxious one. And and, and Vaughn was just the quiet, reserved, thoughtful friend of mine, turned into a brotherhood. And so I want to brag on you just a little bit because I know I know it happens a lot, but I think when it happens from people that love you. It, it 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 means something a little bit a little bit different. And Tell us what he won't, Brian. I mean, listen, champs. I mean, listen. First of all, I don't know how many people have met with the dude that has made Michael Jordan's shoes, designed Michael Jordan's shoes. Uh, Tinkerton, um, Von Dale knows this dude. Um, and and Von, if you want to talk a little bit about that relationship and what that means and the connection with Nike, please do that. But here's the other piece too. He has some brilliant young men in champs doing some amazing things to the point where it caught the eye of NBA All-Star Hall of Famer Dwayne Wade. And the design process of this young man and his fashion sense, all of this turned into another connection. So, you know, fine, wherever you want to take it. uh, But I just want to give you your flowers right now because do you... Lessons, You're man. changing the dynamic of the city of Chicago, which we both love. So just get, just talk about yourself. <laughs> uh, you put me in a very awkward seat. I didn't know where you were going, bro. Uh, <laughs> but, um, 
you know, I, I can share some of those stories. And obviously those are, I think, valuable to external stakeholders who want to yeah. know if, if our program is, is actually getting results, right? Um, you know, the first year when we started, it was just like, let's see if this experiment will work. And I knew because of the father story that I shared with you guys, um, I knew I had to be the averse of that. I knew that I had to be consistent. I knew that I had to show up when I say I was going to show up. Or you can forget about talking about you having a mentoring program and you canceling every other week. You can't do that. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you do more damage when you do that. So mm. when people are calling me and they say, man, we see your champs program. We want to start a mentoring program. I say, all right, hold on. Let me ask a couple questions. How long are you in this for? And if mm. they tell me six months or eight months, I'm like, don't do it because you're going to do more damage to the kids. So mentorship is, is first, you know, a long-term thing. And along the way, you know, there are certain opportunities that we get to be a part of that I think are really, really cool. As a matter of fact, I would say my top five lifetime experiences, I would say three out of the five came directly through mentor, mentorship through CHAMPS. Um, you know, I think one of our highlights we, sh we shared together, Brian not, and I was going to Hawaii. Um, yeah. That was a major like life goal type of thing that happened before 21. And it was absolutely incredible. That's a whole nother episode to talk about yeah. that. <laughs> we don't have enough time to talk about that. We ain't but, got time to talk about that. But, but I will no. say, uh, you know, me meeting President Obama in the White House, being invited to the White House, our, our first year of champs is kind of like what opened up our eyes to what was possible. Um, taking a trip of 35 young men from Chicago to D.C., and being on a guest list <laughs> to go in and having President Obama come out, right? You, you get goosebumps. Yeah. Um, but then from that, it's like, okay, how do we take what we saw experience back to Chicago? Because we can't live here. <laughs> we got to go back to the hood. So what, what, what piece of inspiration can we take? So we started something called the Born to Win Conference. And that whole conference was our inspiration from the White House, uh, where we have guest speakers. And Brian, have, of course, has been a part of that. Um, so, yeah, meeting President Obama, I think, is kind of what opened up some exposure and some national exposure opportunities there. Um, but just to see the young men in the White House arguing over if this was really George Washington's sword and if this was Abraham Lincoln's <laughs> real plate hanging up that he really ate off of. And it was. And so to, to be there. And to see them experience life is really mentorship for me because they mentoring me just as much as I'm mentoring them. So, uh, you know, I would say that's powerful. Speaking of Tinker Hatfield, you know, that was more of an organic situation, you know, being invited to the Nike headquarters in Beaverton, Oregon. And, and Nike saying, we've never done this outside of a team. Y'all the first like organization that we've ever done something like this for. Like you get to pick your flights, you get to use our travel agency, you get to be in a five-star hotel. And the big thing for me was we wasn't just going there to see the campus. I really wanted to talk to executives that's writing LeBron checks, that's making Michael Jordan shoes. They wanted to, oh, I want to meet Michael Jordan. I want to meet LeBron James. They want to do all that. And I'm like, you know, that's kind of cool to say you've done that. 
But man, let's let's try to figure out how do we bring some economic empowerment back to how our city. The there we how go. We so I had to kind of center like everything like that the cherry on the on the top type of stuff that we've been involved with um, and say it's a much bigger reason why we are even allowed to do this. Right. Where most people dream of of having certain opportunities. So, yeah, Tinker is a really dynamic dude. Um, you know, getting a chance to sit in his office and they asked me to present 40. I have 45 minutes to give a presentation to all of Jordan brand executives and Nike executives and Tinker Hatfield's office. Um, and it was one of the coolest experiences of my entire life, just because I said some very bold things intentionally. Um, and I was very direct with Nike and Jordan. Like, I'm not here to applaud y'all. Y'all get enough accolades. I'm here to confront y'all. And that's how I started my opening 30 seconds. And I, and I told, it was 15 of us that they flew out there, part of the champs. And I told them, and I rehearsed this. I said, now, when we get in, and I'm about to say some things that, that may have them call security on me. And if they do, y'all come out with me. Y'all just leave <laughs> with me because it, it, it can go a couple different ways now. But I said, I have to do this because I want them to feel what they read about and see. Um, because they are informing culture through Chicago. You know, it's a, it's a lifeline through our, through our city. But it's also important to be able to engage at a high level to get them to pay more attention beyond the shoes and the material things. And it went well. Uh, it brought Tinker to tears. Uh, and it sparked up a genuine relationship between he and I, um, in which he's visited our Champs program and he's done some donation stuff. And I got somewhere around here, uh, the architect, the Air Max shoes with his signature on them. Maybe one day I might have to sell them and it's going to be a steep price. So whoever's listening, <laughs> if you want those pair, uh, they gonna go for a steep price, but no, it, it's it. you know, it, and others, you know, Anthony Davis, and like you mentioned, Dwayne Wade, and and you know, Michael. It, 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 I can go on and on, but the big thing for me is it's not about those people, but it is about them being introduced to who you are and you telling your story. So we do a lot of like, let's not get caught up in the fame of meeting people but let's stay focused on why we're meeting these individuals to get them back in the fold, to let them know that their contributions and their support will help us really change Chicago. Invariably, there are men who may hear your message, who may want to contribute, but for whatever reason may not feel that they're mentor material. You know, what do you look for? You know, um, you know, some people feel like they got to be perfect or they feel like I got to get this thing right before I contribute to the life of, of someone else. I'd like to hear from somebody who runs a successful program. When you're looking for a mentor, what things are important to you? Man, you just said a key word. I am not looking for perfection. Um, as a matter of fact, it's a saying that we, we say around champs. Um, we seek progress, not perfection, right? Um, and I think that's the most important thing is being your authentic self. And being consistent, I, I, I'm not looking for, you know, the person who has uh, just a straight A's or live this perfect life. I actually got some guys who have a story. And if most people heard their story, they like what they doing around kids. Why is because they got a story. <laughs> they got something that they've been through that they offering kids and it's very effective. So uh, it's just a bunch of broken men um, that's on this road and this journey to get better every single day. 
Um, and, and the same goes for me. I'm not any different. Uh, the reason why I didn't get locked up or put in prison is because I had mentors and I didn't get caught for some of the stuff I did. Let's just be truthful. Um, if they caught me, they would lock me up too. Um, so I try to teach our young men, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to fail. But let's do it quick, right? Let's learn the lesson and let's figure out how we support and kind of build up from there. So any anybody that's interested in joining our program, there's a, a you know online application process. You fill it out. We talk to you, and we try to get you in where you fit in. So I just say be very consistent. If you can meet once a month, come once a month. If you can meet every other week, come every other week. But whatever you can commit to, just be very consistent and be authentic. That's what we're asking for, and that's what we need. So Vaughn, as as we get ready to wrap. We oftentimes ask each other and our guests, what's given you inspiration? So share with the people, what's giving you inspiration these days? Man, the move against, uh, you know, demolishing systematic racism um, in our country, that's given me inspiration to rally around opportunities for economic justice and economic empowerment. That's given me inspiration. The ability to innovate from a pandemic um, to really look at what hasn't been working for hundreds of years and, and come out of this and say, all right, we got some gaps in terms of technological divides, um, the have and the have nots. We found out there were a lot of kids that didn't have the access to technology. And I think we started to have a lot more conversations around what do we need to do, even as nonprofit organizations and programs to provide those types of services for our youth. That gives me inspiration that we are kind of trending up in a lot of different areas. Um, and I think also what gives me inspiration and in the, in the thing be when you say inspiration is the thing that keeps me up at night. Right. Um, it's also that fire to know that it's successful of a program that we've built. There's so much work to be done. Um, you know, it's like it, every day I'm, I keep getting humble. Like I get great news. Like yesterday we got a $20,000 grant. I'm like, yeah. Then next thing you know, I heard about little Pookie and them getting shot. You know what I mean? So it's just like these ebbs and flows, but that inspires me. And it never allows me to sit on this throne and say, yes, look at what I've done. We have the mm -hmm. most motivational program in the nation. You know what I mean? Like, it's just too much to be done for me to look at it like that. Um, and that that provides a certain level of humility and inspiration to me as well. And then and more importantly, my family, you know, my family gives me inspiration every Shout single out day. to the Singleton. Shout, Shout out. out to the Singletons, Dr. Singleton, who's on the flight right now um, to support our college friend. But, you know, my daughter who teaches me things uh, to be a better father, my son who's always asking me a million questions a day about every, everything. He recently asked, Dad, are you famous? I'm like, well, I might be famous to you. They just don't know it yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, um, but again, it's like everything that I do is, is being watched and calculated, and that provides a certain level of inspiration and also provides a certain level of motivation to want to keep going and to see how far we can take this thing before our time is up. About you, D. That's what's up? Um, before I jump in, I just want to say this, Vaughn. So I, I have one of those daughters that asks a million questions. And uh, you said your son is seven? Yeah, he's seven. Yep. Okay. So when, when she gets a little older, try this. I said, I've committed to never answering the question with just because. But why 
can't be your complete question. You're going to have to give <laughs> me like a full sentence that yeah. explains what you know and your limitations because they can, sh- they can fire out why like a machine. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. You give it a paragraph answer and they, why? So, you know, when, when he gets a little bit older, hit him with that one. To, yeah, to that's a good one. He accepts it. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, you know what? These conversations are always giving me inspiration. You know, um, Harris had to leave, but before he jumped off, we were four men in four different states. Well, D.C. <laughs> D.C. in three different states. <laughs> and having conversations about how we can impact the lives of, of our children, but other people. You know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, I would not have been able to find out about the good things that the Rondells do and about chance. Um, so I love the way that we are being connected, particularly we're connected right now in a way that's safe and mm-hmm. in a way that that is not harmful to the environment. And, and we're and, and when we disconnect, we'll be able to be amongst our family. Um, so the tools that are available to us right now um, are incredibly powerful, but we still have work to do. And um, they. I'm always inspired on ways we can use these platforms and, be, and to use some of the things that we that we have as our creature comforts to really do some meaningful work. And uh, I'm excited. How about you, B? You know, it's so funny because uh, when we were getting everything set up for this episode, there was this uh, this this story that just kept replaying back in my head. And boy, how far we've come! When Vaughn and I were in high school, uh, Vaughn worked at Ponderosa down the street from our high school. Yes, I did. <laughs> and 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 uh, Vaughn would be like, hey, B, mate, come come through after football practice, man. I'll hook you up. I'm like, come on through. And I'm like, never, I never went through, right? Never went through. And so Vaughn was like, bruh, I got these steaks. <laughs> I was like, he was like, I got these steaks. So I would come through, we eat some steaks, I would pay. And then next thing I know, Vaughn was like, hey, man, what you doing for lunch today? Like, Eating this mock chicken leg that they serving us downstairs, whatever it is. Vaughn was like, hey, man, I brought some steaks for you. It's all good. I got some potatoes. <laughs> so we were the only high school kids in Pulaski High School eating steak and potatoes where everybody else was eating chicken nuggets and salad. And so what's giving me inspiration is how far we've come. Yeah. Right? Like, we had no idea at 17 and 18 that we would still be connected. We had no idea that through a mentor, through Marquette University, that our pathways would be paved with honesty and authenticity and truth and realism. Like, look, you can stay in Milwaukee if you want, but just to know, if I tell you that you are capable of achieving heights better than some of these white folks and some of these other black folks, whomever, you can. You just can't settle for mediocrity. And so through Stephen and through just our friendship, that's giving me inspiration because I would love for all of our kids to be able to say that they've had a friend in their life for 20 plus years, 25, nice. 30 plus years. Someone that we may not talk to each other every day of the week. We may not be at everybody's big function, but at the drop of a dime, I got you. I don't need to ask no questions. And so just that in itself. And the other thing too, fellas, is that the Dad Jeans uh, podcast was just featured in an I Ponder um, article. Great. And the title was Reimagining Black Fatherhood. And just 
to, to see that, again, this is not about us just saying, hey, look at us, as much as going back to Vaughn's six-word memoir. We got to pay it forward. And so how can we continue to inspire with this platform, fathers out there, to just know that whatever school tools you have as a father is good enough, um, then that's just what we have to do. So that continues to give me motivation. So shout out to Ponderosa. Shout out. The statute of limitations on Bob hooking you up with free food is passed, man. You ain't got a lie and say you paid for it. Yeah, I just, look, look, look. It's all good. It's all the good. Statue of limitations. Bob was like, hey, man, just, just get salad. I was like, how much is salad? He's like, $4. I was like, all right, cool. Next thing I'm walking out of there with a T-bone with Sir Line. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. With C4 yes, sir. Soft Drink. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> and oh, this has man. been the Bad Jeans Podcast. We have yeah. loved our episode on investing in our community uh, with our special guest, Vondell Singleton. Um, We'd love to hear from our from our audience. If you have any questions, if there's something that we missed, if you want to learn more about what you've heard, um, shoot us an email at info at dadjeanspodcast.com. And Mondell, if somebody wants to connect with you and they're in Chicago or they know people in Chicago that they want to either connect with your program or they want to support it from wherever they are, well, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, absolutely. You can uh, follow Champs at Champs Mentoring is our, our social media handle at Twitter, Instagram. All of it is the same. Um, or you can follow us at uh, www.champsmentoring.com or .org um, and reach out, support, donate, and follow the great work that we're doing in the city. It's, it's vitally important, especially as the city reopens. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Dad Jeans Podcast. And as always, if you like what you heard, share us, subscribe, and give us that five star. One, two, three, four, five stars. On behalf of Harris, Brian, stay safe, stay sane, and do good. Until next time, peace. Peace.